Welcome to episode 302 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. On today's show, we're talking to Joe Steck, who is founder of a new publishing company called Compelling Science Fiction. Hey, Joe, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to talk to you guys. Well, so it's been a while. I guess the, the, the last time that we actually talked was at the Texting Summit, which I'm guessing is what, like two years ago now? Yeah, or, yeah, I, it might be three. So two, no, so it, it can't in, be three. It, it, it was in September. <laughs> it was in September. I know that. And I think it was 2014, maybe. I have to, of course, I could probably just do a search on my Gmail and find out the emails. But anyway, we had a great time hanging out. I remember, um, you know, you were one of the uh, primary voices during the uh, summit. We had all kind of, I think, common interests and, and views on things. So Yeah, um, yeah that was a lot of fun. That was a blast. You know, I don't know why Justin didn't want to do it again, but... Uh, <laughs> what the... <laughs> Are you kidding I, me? I pushed and I pushed, but he just kept saying no. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> That's no. exactly how it went down. That's so true. Yeah. It, was, <laughs> it was probably the most time I've ever spent uh, in restaurants consecutively in my life. <laughs> I know. It, it was funny. You know, it's like, you, you know, every once in a while you have this like long meal with some people and it'll be this really interesting conversation going for like three hours and you, you walk out and you're like jesus man i can't even feel my legs <laughs> we did that like seven times in a row <laughs> yeah the yeah. whole weekend two days it was seven rest that was incredible i think each of us probably put on like seven or eight pounds <laughs> but uh anyway it, I, i'm really uh really excited to have you on the show and i'm really excited to hear about compelling science fiction because i know you really put your heart into it and that it's uh, it's actually taking off which is cool. So um, why don't we just start off and, and tell us a little bit about what Compelling Science Fiction is and how you got started on it. Yeah, so uh, Compelling Science Fiction is an online hard science fiction magazine, and uh, it's published bi-monthly now. Uh, it used to be uh, a little bit more sporadic earlier in the year. It's been uh, going for about nine months now, and uh, it started because... I've always I've always really enjoyed science fiction, and uh, I was I was uh, hanging out with my wife one night, and uh, and we were talking about how I I used to attempt to write science fiction in in college, and then I realized that I have uh, sort of the financial means now to s contribute back to the science fiction community, so I decided to. Uh, I decided to set up this magazine where we pay professional rates uh, to authors to um, encourage the writing of the type of science fiction that I like. Uh, it's very um, uh, selfish of me, I guess, but it, it's basically science fiction that's plausible, uh, fairly highly technical, and um, and has sort of a positive connotation. Uh, for most of the stories, there's a lot of dystopian stuff that's um, that's being published these days, and and that's not my favorite type of science fiction because it doesn't really inspire as much progress as the as the positive stuff. So that's uh, that's the long version. So well, that sounds like that's a short version. <laughs> I think there's a lot more we can talk about. But um, okay, so. You have you have this idea to set up this this website. Um, how do you go about recruiting writers, and and how do you 
figure out what to pay them? How did that whole, whole all come together? Yeah, so that's actually uh, pretty interesting. Um, uh, I, ha- I had no idea when, when I started the thing, the answer to any of those questions. And uh, so, so what I ended up doing, um, it turns out that uh, SIFWA, the, um, it's the Science Fiction uh, Fantasy Writers of America, the Guild, uh, and you can join SIFWA if you have, um, if you fulfill some criteria based on how many stories you sell and how much you sell them for to various professional markets. And it turns out that they have uh, a bunch of criteria based on what they think a professional author should make. And, and one of those numbers is the cents per word that authors are paid and and that turns out to be six cents a word and and so I I decided all right that seems like a reasonable uh, a reasonable number to start with and um, so I've been paying authors six cents a word uh, and that comes out that generally comes out to be um, about uh, three hundred to four hundred dollars uh, a story uh, based on the the average lengths of the stories that we publish and then. Okay. Yeah. No, go on, go on. I'm sorry. Keep, keep going. No, keep going. Oh, I was just going to say, um, with respect to the actually finding authors uh, to write, I put up a splash page um, uh, probably two and a half months before I started, uh, I released the first issue. And I put that splash page up on Hacker News. I said, I'm looking for authors who write this type of science fiction. And, um, and then, uh, I was able to get in contact with uh, the editor of uh, Clark's World magazine. Uh, he's a he's a really cool guy, and he uh, was able to give me some pointers as well. Uh, there's a site called Rowland.com, and um, the guy set it up in the mid '90s and hasn't really changed it that? since. R A L A N dot com. Great. And, uh, and yeah, he, he has had this site up for a couple decades now, and he uh, basically has listings for all the different types of markets, professional markets, semi-pro markets, uh, markets where you just want to submit your stories and, and get recognition rather than any kind of financial compensation, those types of things. And, and that site, he listed uh, compelling science fiction on his site. And that was where the majority of the uh, authors initially came from was uh, Rallin and uh, and Hacker News. Did have you done any like AdWords campaigns or anything like that? Any other outreach, or is it just sort of grown organically from those two starting points? Yeah, I've done a couple tests um, with with Facebook ads and with uh, Google AdWords, and uh, I didn't really. Uh, there were very small tests, like a uh, hundred bucks for for each uh, AdWords and and Facebook, and I think uh, Google gave me some extra bonus uh, money for for ads uh, or something like that. But I never really saw very much growth from from Facebook or or Google ads, mostly because the cost uh, of acquisition for uh, users on either of those platforms is well, well uh, above any kind of return that, that I ever saw. And right. uh, so, so basically the most, uh, the most 
market penetration that I've been able to achieve was from forums and uh, cold emails. Actually, I've I've sent out a lot of emails to people that I've seen online that say they like science fiction, and so mm. I'll send them an email. Hey, check out this! And um, actually, uh, the the most uh, the biggest supporter we have is. Um, uh, Brad Feld in uh, Boulder. He's a venture capitalist who yeah, uh, yeah. he co-founded TechStars and and uh, and some other things. And he actually contributes uh, three hundred and sixty dollars an issue to the magazine now uh, because I I cold emailed him and I said, Hey, I've seen you talk around uh, the Colorado area, and uh, I saw on your blog that you like science fiction. Maybe you want to check this out. And uh, and I was surprised that he did. <laughs> That's cool. Now. Just mm. out of curiosity, when you sent him an email, was it a pretty short one, or did you send like a two or three paragraph, you know, description of everything you're doing? Um, you know, I think it was about a paragraph and a half, and probably the, uh, it, I don't know what caught his attention to be honest, but I, I did send him a link to the, uh, to the first issue. Um, discussion on Hacker News, and that actually hit the uh, the top slot uh, on Hacker News and, and stayed there for a while. So that was sort of a, an endorsement. Um, yep. He might have he taken a look at that. And uh, so I sent him that link. I said, uh, we've been getting some some pretty good reviews, and, and uh, maybe you want to check it out. And I think that was pretty much it. Yeah, because I, I always find it kind of interesting, you know, when I'll get emails when somebody will want to, I don't know, get my attention for something, and I get these three or four paragraphs, and I just go, oh, God, what do I have to read this, you know, wall of text, and and it yeah. usually, it's, it, it doesn't work, I mean, it, it's usually, I found the ones that I respond to are really short, and they're, and they're personal, and they're kind of like, hey, Jason, you know, just like you did, I, I, I know this about you, and I know you like this, and hey, check this out, you know, as opposed to, you know, when Justin and I receive these emails from um, PR people who want to try and get their um, client as a guest on our show, mm -hmm. and they send this big, long thing, and I think both of us, I don't know how what he does, my eyes glaze over, and I'm just like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <too>. right. <laughs> um, I mean, and maybe just partially because it, anytime a PR agent contacts me, I'm just, I, it just makes puts a bad taste in my mouth. I, if if yeah. somebody contacts me directly, there's a little better chance. It's a little more genuine, you know. But if someone doesn't know me, and you know, and they're just sending me this generic form email type thing, like who cares? But anyway, the only one just, like that, the, the only one like that that you paid any attention to was from Tucker Max, but we still didn't get it together to uh, get the interview. Yeah, well, you know, one of our listeners on the show had was, was I think, working with Tucker. Tucker had this thing like um, book in a box or some kind of project and trying to help people become authors, I think, and something along those lines. Um, is Tucker, Tucker had been, you know, was a, a famous author, best-selling author, and then he did, he did a foray uh, into angel investing in this book in a mm. box. Anyway, so he was... Trying, he was saying, "Hey, you want to get Tucker on the show?" But I don't know. I just felt like it was not probably a good fit, and um, hmm. I don't know. I just wasn't motivated. It's the problem with me, and I don't know. It's, Justin's the same way. If if I'm not like really interested in talking to the person, I just can't get myself to interview him. <laughs> you know, I'm like, if Justin, I'm like, hey man, if you want to do it, do it. But I'm not going to sit there for an hour and a half and talk to someone. I just don't give a crap. You know, <laughs> Joe, that's a compliment. That's a compliment, right there. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm really happy about that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's like, I don't know. I, I, but if it, but the great thing about the show, I mean, even though we don't, we haven't really taken advantage of this much in the last year or two, but 
if there's somebody you think is really fascinating and you'd love to talk to, this gives you an easy, a good reason to do it. You know, it's yeah. So um, yeah, but anyway, so that's what we. I you know, obviously we're interviewing you. I I mean, I know Justin and I, like me, we both really enjoyed meeting and hanging out with you at the summit, and uh, I've enjoyed watching uh, compelling science fiction gain traction. So I'm like, oh yeah, let's 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 talk to Joe. This would be fun. Um, so, all right. So, all right. I, I, I sometimes like to do these things chronologically because I think the story yeah. aspect of it is fun to go through. So you're sitting there, you, you talk to your wife, she says, Hey, you know, you, you guys have a little conversation. Maybe we'll do this thing and we'll start an online magazine, uh-huh. you know, et cetera, et cetera. So first of all, um, you know, there's a certain amount of outlay of capital right there. I mean, you you, yeah. you, you got to how many stories are you going to put on your first edition? I mean, I told us about the first issue. The first issue came together. How many stories do you need? How many stories are you going to pay for? How do you you know negotiate with the writers? I mean, how did that whole thing happen? Yeah. So uh, I I decided. I think in any venture like this, you have to decide what is the maximum amount that you actually want to spend on it uh, yeah. before you actually start. And uh, in my case, that was. Um, it, that was two thousand uh, dollars in issue uh, for the first three issues, and and I I sort of uh, w- in one of my initial blog posts I kind of guaranteed I'm going to do this for three issues, and if if uh, if it gains some traction by then I'll keep doing it. Otherwise, uh, that'll be it'll be a fun uh, thing to you know talk about in the future. But I think that's um, a great idea. By the way, the way I think. For two reasons. I mean, one, you you kind of you commit yourself to at least doing more than one, which I think is important. I know when Jess and I started doing the podcast, you know, we initially committed to doing ten, even if they the first ones are embarrassing and they suck. Justin, you remember mm-hmm. that? I do. It was ten, right? Didn't we say we do ten no matter what? Or I was. Okay. It was ten, and it was, but it was pretty obvious by the time we got to the tenth that we were going to keep going. Yeah, but at the first <laughs> one, we were so depressed at how it came out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was so much worse than we thought it was going to be that we were both kind of mopey, like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and, and then and then it was like, well, we committed, so even if we suck, we got to keep doing it. Mm. And I think we limped through another one or two, and then and after a while, you just become kind of inoculated to your own um, yeah. poor execution, and you're just like, well, whatever, we suck. Just we get sh- a thicker skin about it, you know? Yeah, like it's just, it, yeah. you know, and, um, but... But by committing, but by pre-committing or, or committing to something like that, it forces you to just kind of maybe weather a little more of the pain than you would otherwise. So I think it's really good that you just did that. And so, but the other thing is, it reminds me of is like in trading. You know, when you buy a stock or sell stock, you know how much money you're willing to lose before you're out. Like you don't ride yeah. it all the way yeah. down. You're like, all right, this is my minimum. This is, the, <laughs> this is my total loss that I will absorb, and I'm okay with that. Which, when you put a cap on that. It puts you a little better mind frame because if you if you're like thinking oh geez I'm gonna put two thousand I lost you know I I I didn't make any money in this first issue or it didn't work out you're thinking how much you start going through these scenarios where you're gonna lose you know you're putting ten or twenty thousand dollars and you're freaking out yeah. whereas you're just saying I'm gonna do six I can live with six yeah so anyway what what, do you, what what are your thoughts kind of on that yeah well uh, I ended up um, I ended up spending about five thousand dollars out of my own pocket uh, before. Before it really uh, gained uh, gained traction, the the first issue I paid for uh, completely out of own, my own pocket, and then and then uh, after the first issue, people started contributing on uh, Patreon, and uh, and so every subsequent issue I paid a little bit less, a little bit less, until this last issue, issue four, 
um, was completely covered. And actually, uh, there was a, a little bit of a profit margin on that one so that um, I could uh, start buying some, yeah. getting a little bit of a buffer, uh, buying stories that I saw that were good, but that uh, that I wasn't going to publish right away. So so I, I did have uh, a little bit of a buffer going into issue five. And uh, now I only have probably two more stories uh, that I have to select for for issue five. And and for issue five, it looks like uh, we're going to be well well into the green. Um, it costs it costs about twelve hundred to fifteen hundred dollars uh, to to publish an issue, and uh, it looks like probably. Um, It'll make about two thousand dollars for for issue five. So, okay. So that's not that's not just Patreon funds um, coming into that, right? So I'm, no. I'm just looking at your Patreon page. You've got fifteen hundred uh, committed per issue at, from from the patrons, but uh, yep. where's the rest of the money coming from? Yeah, actually, uh, there are uh, I guess four income streams right now. Really, really only three. Uh, the the uh, the Patreon is the most. It's a little over fifteen hundred dollars right now, and um, and then uh, every issue on the Kindle store now I make about three hundred, um, because wow. yeah we we publish every every story in the Kindle store. Uh, interest. Well, I don't want to I don't want to sidetrack too much, but uh, working with Amazon to get into the um, newsstand, their periodicals is so much more difficult than than their uh, regular Kindle store. It's it's not even funny. I'm still I'm still working with them right now to get into the Kindle newsstand, but I, I can talk about that uh, maybe later. Um, but Kindle, uh, Patreon, those are the main uh, income streams and then um, and then the third is uh, corporate sponsorships. Uh, I'm very grateful uh, to Justin. Uh, he sponsored a story in the last <laughs> issue, and uh, then I had a corporate sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> the, the corporation of Nugget, big, big, big enterprise is what what I call it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the, evil corp. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then um, a couple. Like one of my friends who's a data scientist that works with me at Oracle, he sponsored a story. Um, Brad Feld hmm. sponsored a story. And uh, Springer Nature, actually, uh, that was a little bit of a different deal. They actually gave, uh, gave me a story, publishing rights to a story out of their new anthology to promote. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't give me any money for that one, but they, uh, but they gave me free publishing rights uh, to that story. And oh. it... it Continue. That's awesome. So, so when, okay, when when someone sponsors a story, what does that mean? Does their like their logo goes on the top of the page that has the story on it, or how does that work? It's actually a pretty subtle uh, text message. There's basically just uh, a couple horizontal rules uh, right under the the title of the story, and then a little blurb saying, you know, we're very grateful to so and so for sponsoring the story, and and here's. Uh, here's how you uh, get a hold of these people. Got it. Their, Got it. their website or whatever. Um, so, do you feel like this thing could grow, ultimately grow into something that could uh, be a full-time gig for you, or is or is it 
is the ambition not that large or how how do you think about it? Yeah, I at first I thought it was just going to be this stupid hobby uh that I had um that that would fizzle out in, you know, half a year or whatever. But uh at this point it seems like there's a lot of people who really enjoy these stories. Uh, Google Analytics uh, puts us at uh, 12,000 unique readers uh, last month. Um, mm. So, so there's there's definitely a lot of interest in it. And and uh, on Patreon, um, the lowest level that you can sponsor the stories is uh, three dollars and sixty cents, which is I just mm. arbitrarily decided, you know, a hundredth <laughs> the cost. Uh, of an average story or whatever was going to be the subscription. So that's where the 360 came from. And then um, it turns out that a significant percentage of the Patreon subscribers uh, uh, pledge way more than that, uh, usually $10, $20, which is, um, which is really cool. It just sort of means to me that they're enjoying it uh, enough to sort of put their money where their mouths are. Could no, when you cover sponsoring a, a story and things like that, do they have any say in what kind of story is published, or do they pick one that they like, or is it just, you know, you pick your three or four stories that you're going to publish in a in an issue, and you assign their their sponsorship to that story? How does that work? So uh, up to this point, um, it's been so I get I get like three hundred to four hundred uh, stories per month in submissions that I have to read through every month. And Jeez. Uh, <laughs> well, well, hold on, hold on. Do you actually read that many, or do you skim a I, couple, or what? Do you, uh, the the um, beginning. I read like? more of them than I would like to. So, <laughs> wow. So if it was if it was just like uh, three hundred and ninety really terrible stories and then ten great stories, that would be ideal for me. Mm -hmm. uh, but the reality is it's it's usually like the majority of them are kind of borderline uh, borderline enough that I have to read uh, through quite a few pages before before I decide oh no this is not this is not what I want uh, but but there are definitely there are definitely stories that I get submitted that I read two paragraphs and I, and I and I say you know we cannot publish this story this is this is uh, just the writing alone is is not good enough um, right. Let alone the content. So, uh, hey Joe. Yeah. I, I have a question for you. Um. So you mentioned that uh, when you know when this first came up in, in the discussion between yourself and your wife. Uh -huh. Um. It. You had mentioned that you had wanted to write science fiction. So now you're curating science fiction. You're not writing science fiction. Is that kind of fulfilling? Um. To this. To the same extent, or will you kind of rekindle that ambition of writing at some point in the future? Yeah, the thing about writing is uh, it it takes a significant amount of practice. Um, I'm I'm an okay writer in in terms of um, uh, communication and uh, just grammar, but but it takes a lot more than than just good grammar to be able to write a, a great science fiction story, and uh, and you really can only get that level of skill by practicing. You know, writing stories over and over and over. You know. 10, 15, uh, 50 stories that are that are really bad before you actually get to writing stuff that's good. At least that's what I've seen. And I don't have time at this point to, to devote that kind of practice to writing. I think it will be fun to try at some point down the road, but I really do enjoy um, curating the stories because uh, – because it also is educational for me, right? I, I, I can see 
what people write that's that doesn't work, what people write write that uh, works, and uh, and interestingly, I've also learned a lot about people from reading all these stories because because I'll think to myself that was a great story, and then I'll go back and think why was that story so great, and mm. uh, it'll teach me some stuff about um, about how humans perceive one another, right? There, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of good ways to convey emotions and there's a lot of bad ways to convey emotions. And there's a lot more succinct ways to convey those, those, uh, types of ideas, uh, than others. And it, I think it helps in all, all aspects of my life, to be honest. Well, you know, it's interesting. It reminds me, um, I'm blanking on the author in the book, but there was a, a guy who, um, he was a – he worked for an agent or something, and he his job was to read screenplays that were submitted. Mm -hmm. And he read – just like you, he read through stacks and stacks of these things. And over time, it became pretty clear that all of the good screenplays followed a simple template, a simple structure, like the three plot – three, you know, three um, – I don't know what you three acts and the mm -hmm. two plot points and the this and that. And so he, I think he was the one who kind of came up came with that structure by reading them. He just sat down and kind of figured it out. What what were the you know major components to, that made it work? You know, yeah. occasionally, you know, you have like a Pulp Fiction or something which will completely break it. But the vast majority of them follow that. And it'd be interesting to see if you end up coming up with something similar to that to science fiction stories, you know, or to this genre of science fiction, this hard science fiction short story. Is, yeah. is there, is there, is there, is there are some, you know, like design patterns, right? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, you, you might say, well, it's not like one, but there's five, there's five basic structures, <laughs> you know, five <laughs> types. And each one, this, this is type one is this, the, is, you know, like in movies is the buddy, buddy movie or the, this and that, you know, and they, you know, different movies, you have the different structures. So do you, have you seen anything yet? Do you have any patterns that have merged for you? Do you start reading it and you go, Oh, I know what this is going to be. It, this is the way it has to work. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's uh, there's an incredible number of those types of patterns, but uh, a lot of them uh, are sort of anti-patterns. Like mm -hmm. the vast majority of the stories uh, that I read, I'll start and I'll think, oh no, this person is going to do this exact thing again, uh, th the same thing that I've read in the last 10 stories. And uh, and they think it's super unique and cool, but it's really not. Uh, there's <laughs> there's a right, lot well, I, of... I want to hear those. Let's hear it. Let's hear some, right? Talking, like, I would love to hear what, like, if you, if, if you have... What's the, the really common one? Yeah. yeah. What are the 10, if you could come up with, however you could just come rattle off, what are oh, the... Wow. That's Let's a, maybe you only come up with three. If one the, or two is fine. Like, <laughs> don't do this. Like number yeah. first thing, don't do this. Um, a mind control, like uh, any kind of mind control, is is so difficult to sell uh, because uh, because it's always it's always the same thing. It's it's either you're you're stuck in some kind of virtual reality and somebody is like psychologically torturing you. Or you're, uh, or you have an implant in your head that that uh, gives you a pleasure pain response, and they use that pleasure pain response to like condition you to be a certain way. Uh, or um, you, yeah, usually it's usually it's implants or virtual reality or um, some form of uh, well, brain uploads actually can be more more interesting because there's more things you, that you can explore there. But uh, but yeah, any type of of mind control scenario tends to be pretty trite. Uh, it, there's not a lot of unique stuff that I've seen with mind control. Um, it's just, it just that they run out of stuff to do. It just gets, it's just, 
just too predictable or just too yeah exactly it's it the stories are not about like okay this person is 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 being mind controlled now something interesting happens it's more like this is how this person became mind controlled and it's and and there's only a limited number of ways that that uh authors have found to uh plausibly control people's minds okay have they been have there been any stories, um, and we can get back to the. the I want to get. I want to hear some ones. more of these, Justin. So don't. <laughs> you want to hear more negative? <laughs> I want to okay. hear some well, more. Really these are good. Yes. Pin, pin. <laughs> this I, is no, the... I wasn't really pulling you away from it. But, <laughs> okay, uh, we got okay, some we'll, more. We'll, okay. Go, go no mind yeah. control, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> don't do the damn mind control. If you're working on it, just shelve it. It's it's not gonna work. Okay. All right. So what's it? What's it? Um, uh, anything, anything steampunk usually doesn't really work. Um, mm. and that, and that just is probably my own, my own bias, but, uh, but it just seems to me like the people, the type of people who write steampunk are the types of people who, um, kind of like superficial action, uh, and, and don't really care about, uh, the storyline at all. And they like to, they like to talk in a Victorian voice and, uh, and describe kind of, goofy gadgets and then the story ends and there's nothing really happens it, yeah. that that happens uh, more often than like getting getting okay. stories like that so yeah no i i'm starting to feel bad trashing all these all these oh no, <laughs> well, no look you're doing their favors this is called don't yeah. don't make me suffer you know you remember you that, book favor, that yeah. was called don't make me think you know is it web design it was back in the yeah. late night it's like this is don't Jacob make Nielsen, me suffer right jacob nielsen yeah yeah or what was it called who was it? Uh, Jacob Justin? Nielsen was the guy, I think. Right. Yeah. Don't we? Th- okay. So this is "Don't Make Me Suffer" by Joe Stack. Okay. So well, number three, I don't, so, don't don't send me your lame steampunk and your gadgets. Don't try and mind control anyone. That sucks. No steampunk, okay. no mind control. <laughs> okay. Well, what's the third? The, 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 the third category is actually probably the most prevalent category, which I sh- should have led with this, which is okay. just stories that are not about anything, like uh, stories. Yeah that are about everyday things, but set in a science fiction world. Mm. Like, uh, nobody like, cares about going to Starbucks in 2087. Yes, exactly. Not, like it, you, 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 uh, like you say that, uh, as a joke, but, um, <laughs> I would not be surprised if I got that story. Like <laughs> the, there, there have been, but, I, I got a story one time that was about, uh, a garbage man on Mars. <laughs> and okay. and it, there was no twist. He was just a garbage man on Mars. <laughs> we're, we're waiting for the big. We're we're waiting for the mind control or something. <laughs> and, and, yeah. Well, you know what would be great is like I want a steampunk mind control about nothing. <laughs> maybe you put, you put all the wrong moves into one thing, and maybe it makes it right. <laughs> uh, yeah, but probably not. Okay, so any, anything else you can think of? Oh man. You know, I pro- I could talk about this a long time. I should actually uh, put a list together um, and and write a blog post of like yeah, all the different idea. ones that would be fascinating. It would be great. Common. I would love that. That would hit Hacker News. That would probably yeah. get you some traffic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so what I learned from reading five thousand <laughs> science fiction submissions, <laughs> like first of all, here ten don'ts, you know, or something like that. That would yeah. be that would be great. Yeah. No, I know a guy. Um, so, so uh, uh, Neil Clark, who who edits Clark's World, 
um, he won't accept zombie stories. Like if he if he gets a story that has any kind of thing that even is slightly related to a zombie, he will auto reject it. Mm, because that's a really common trope as well. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What was that one? There's a TV, there's a there's a um, there's a website. It's like called TV Tropes or something. Yeah. And it, and it categorizes every single trope you could ever think of. Um, you know, not movie tropes and yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know what's called. Yeah. So what? So what about like the AI? The AI kind of run among. Remember that? I think you heard me probably talk about it uh-huh. on a, as an idea a year ago on the show. It's something I thought would be fun to explore. Do does does the AI um, genre or I don't know what you call it category have Think any legs? Think carefully about how you respond to this. <laughs> no, no. I, no it's, I, I, he, he can say it sucks. Like it's fine. You know, he's written. How, how many have you read at this point? How many stories? Uh, I I think it's like um, I just looked at this yesterday. It was somewhere around twelve hundred and fifty stories. Okay. Um, yeah, they, yeah. It, it hasn't been three hundred or four hundred every month. It's been increasing every month. Okay, well there, there we go. So that's a good I, sign. If, if Joe says it's a bad idea, then I will t- take his word for it. At this point, he has read his share. So, so yeah, that category, that general idea. What do you think of it? Uh, I, I actually like it probably the most of anything that that I that I receive, and and it's probably well. I think there's two reasons. One, I'm biased because mm-hmm. I've been, you know, I was a firmware engineer for five years, and since then I've been a data scientist, and I like thinking about AIs. And uh, and then the other thing is that people who write AI stories tend to think them through really, really well. Uh, right. And th- I think it's just the type of person who likes AI uh, thinks a lot about AI. <laughs> In your face, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Hey, so so I, the question that I had for you was, has there been any stories that have just absolutely blown you away and floored you because of how good they are? And they've even just, you know, shocked you to the core of just changed the way you thought about things. Um, so so I, I wouldn't probably go that far. Uh, like, I haven't seen a story that changed my worldview or anything like that. Uh, but mm-hmm. there was uh, the first story maybe in change your religion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't listen, maybe not quite that far, but let's I, just. Yeah. Okay. I never had a religious experience, but um, uh, but the first uh, ish, the first <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> the uh, first story in issue four, the most recent issue. It, it's called uh, "They Breed Like Flies," uh, was. So, um, was so funny and so and so novel uh, that I accepted it. I, I usually um, send out the stories. That it's kind of a two-step process. I have seven. Uh, I have seven advisors that I send out uh, stories to that I think are pretty good. And so I'll like take the top ten percent, send it out to them, and they tell me, you know, you're you're totally crazy. This story sucks, or this story is awesome, and with seven different perspectives that that is pretty effective at, at getting stories that a lot of people will like. Uh, but this particular story, I just immediately sent him an email and I said, like, I want to buy the story from you. Uh, uh, and I didn't send it to anybody else. But uh, I d- when I did send it to everyone else, they said, this story is awesome. Uh, <laughs> you, you definitely should have uh, picked a story. It's basically about this um, this alien uh, kind of bug-like creature that that is growing up on this world, and he's going through adolescence, which is for for their species kind of a, an ordeal. 
and uh, and they have all these sort of novel social structures around uh, around this alien species, and then uh, a sort of um, sublight ship full of humans arrives on their planet, and uh, and then uh, the humans interacting with uh, the aliens and the the adolescent uh, creature trying to figure out. Uh, where he stands in life and everything. That was that was a good story. I like that story a lot. So along those lines, I mean, are there authors that like you, you like their story so much you're like, okay, like this person, I need to stay in close contact with them and encourage them and you know, like you almost like you want to help them reach the next level, next level, you know, that they're maybe they're fairly early on in their career. I mean, do you feel like like something you've discovered somebody, some some incredible talent? Um there's an author uh, named Aaron Wright who uh, wrote a story for the first issue, and I think uh, I think that was his first uh, published story, and it was very good. It was about a um, a hospital AI, and uh, and um, I I definitely uh, have kept in touch with him. I I feel kind of bad because um, because I interviewed him and I interviewed a few other authors for a potential podcast. Uh, but all those files are like still sitting on my computer and I haven't edited them and I haven't, uh, released mm. any of them yet. Uh, so, so I will be trying to release those, uh, podcast interviews at some point when I get the time to go through and edit them and, and upload them to, I don't know, SoundCloud or something like that. Uh, oh. well, what about just doing like, um, uh, you know, rather, rather just like the email interview, so you can easily post them and have those like like a regular, you know, weekly, um, you know, interview with uh, one of the, with writer, like how they think about writing and how they come up with the stories. I mean, what about just doing something like that? That probably wouldn't take as much work, right? I'm I'm writing that down right now because you know? I would love to read it. I think people we see this all the time. It's like, how do people do their craft? I find this fascinating. I think a lot of people do. I've seen other things like this in different. You know, um, I remember this one like coders at work, and it was interviews with like a lot of the great programmers. Like, was it the Armstrong guy created Erlang and Drew Strop who created C plus plus and those yeah. type of people? And it's always fascinating to find out like things that they do and don't do. You would assume that they were doing certain things. Like a lot of these guys never use debuggers; <laughs> they just print statements. <laughs> and you're like, what? You know, and some guys. Yeah. I mean, it's just funny because you think, well, any any self-respecting programmer obviously does this, and like some of the greatest programmers in the world don't do that. And you're like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's okay then that I not to do that if I don't want to. But um, anyway, I'm that, I think do that, that. Would, that would be fascinating. I just think um, it'd probably be pretty mm -hmm. easy. Um, I, I'm at time wise. I mean, considering I know yeah. you'd probably have a limited amount of time, but it would be. I, I don't know. I think that'd be fun to read. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm 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 gonna do that. Well, great. So we have our unsolicited advice segment already done. So that's <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have a technical question for you. Uh -huh. uh, you say, um, you know, that you you, you just uh, just a few minutes ago, you said you, as soon as you read it, you sent him an email saying you want to buy the story. Yeah. What does that What does that mean to buy the story? Oh yeah. Like, so, uh, so I have a magazine contract, and uh, it's a it's a standard uh, contract to purchase publication rights. And this is one of those things uh, that that gets misunderstood uh, pretty often uh, by authors who are first starting out. Um, I don't buy, I buy very little, in fact, in terms of in terms of rights. I'm not buying a copyright on their thing. I'm not buying anything like that. All I'm buying is uh, what they call first world publication rights. 
uh, for six months. And those are exclusive rights to publish this story uh, in my magazine and uh, and then three uh, and then three years of non-exclusive rights after that, at which uh, during which time they can they can sell it the story to any other uh, publisher uh, who is willing to accept um, non-exclusive rights. And then the contract also stipulates that at the end of that three-year period, if they want to, they can revoke my uh, non-exclusive rights, and then I'll take down all their stories off my website, and I won't sell any more uh, copies of the magazine with their story in it. Um, in practice, I don't think that that actually happens. People like having their stories uh, have a. They like stories having a home, um, and very few authors will, or I'm sorry, very few publishers will ask for non. Uh, uh, for exclusive rights after a story has been initially printed. Um, and then there's some other things in the contract, like uh, I get rights to anthologize the story if I want, but I will pay the authors a royalty for that. And I can use um, their their uh, stories in podcasts or, or audiobooks. Or, so anthologizing is like you releasing a book. Yeah, exactly. Is that correct? So okay. um, yeah. uh, an anthology with uh, basically a, a book of short stories with more than five authors. Would you consider nice, doing that as a money? I'm sorry, Jess and I, well, um, but would you, would you consider no doing that from as a, as a, just a, uh, as another potential, uh, you know, uh, on a revenue source is like, you know, after a year and the year, like the, you know, the, the most, the most compelling science fiction of 2016. <laughs> you know? And it would be like the 10 best stories or the, you know, and you, you actually do a printed, you know, a printed version or something. Yeah. I, I, and I actually was going to do that before Christmas this year, just anthologize every story that we published so far. But then I found out that, uh, it would have taken too long to uh, get a printer lined up and um, and all the books uh, shipped out with like a bulk rate uh, mailing uh, rate and it, I could do it through um, I could do it through Amazon. Amazon has their own kind of self-publishing platform where They'll print it on the fly, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like an on-demand printing service, but uh, for like a Fifteen dollar book. Uh, I think they take ten or eleven dollars off the top of that, and uh, and since and since most of the money uh, from an anthology like that, uh, I think my contract says fifty percent. Fifty percent of the money is distributed on a kind of uh, uh, prorated basis based on how many words in the story an author has uh, uh, an author's story. Um, comprises. Uh, yeah, I said that very poorly. Yeah, I, I, I get okay. it. Like it's the percentage. So you you work out the percentage. Like all the stories together make a hundred percent, and then you work out how much percentage. Yeah, each exactly. Person has. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You, you got it. And and uh, hey, and so, look at the non-numbers guy explaining the math. Well done, Justin. <laughs> <I like it. laughs> it's almost like it's almost like me mansplaining something, <laughs> given, <laughs> given that you are like totally mathematical. That's great. That's good. Okay. But yeah, you. <laughs> You get it, and uh, and I would have done it uh, just for the just to get the stories out there and to get people reading the stories. But I I, I had misgivings about um, selling a bunch of copies of an anthology and then giving the authors like a few bucks each, even if we sold uh, you know a thousand copies or whatever. That 
that felt gross to me. I didn't, I didn't want to do it that way. If I, if I make an anthology, I want to give the authors a bigger royalty. So, so if you do a print, if you do a, a more of a what traditional printer, yeah, setup, then you'll actually be able to make a lot more money. Um, yeah, net printing costs. Is that right? Yeah, I know. Uh, there's a guy who started a magazine around the same time as I did, uh, early, early this year. Um, he's from Google in Boston. And uh, his magazine's called A Literate, like uh, a person who can read but does not. And mm-hmm. uh, and he went the print route. He does uh, every six months uh, a print magazine that's a little bit thicker. And uh, I think his subscription costs. He 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 actually charges a subscription for every single uh, copy that he sells. And I think he charges eighteen bucks. But um, with the printing costs and the shipping costs, uh, it doesn't come out to more than. Uh, a few bucks per copy. Mm. So is he? He's also in the science fiction area, or is he doing? Uh, he does else? literary genre fiction, which is okay. like uh, a little bit. Oh, um, I'm not sophisticated enough for that. Uh, right. It's it's basically all types of genre fiction, like fantasy, science uh, fiction, westerns, mm-hmm. a- any genre that you could think of. Uh, he'll put in that magazine. I see. Okay. Um, so are you thinking, so for next year though, for like you'll do a 2017 anthology? Is that the, is yeah, that the I think so. I, I think I'll do, I'll do that. Uh, as long as nothing crazy happens. Cool. So, um, in, in your, you said your, these magazines are coming out by monthly. Is that right? Um, yeah, these right now it's, uh, it's bi monthly. I actually, uh, this, <laughs> I'm off. I'm offset. The latest issue was December, January, and the next issue is going to be February, March, which is kind of weird, but uh, whatever. Right. Uh, so yeah, the next issue is going to come out uh, February first, or or the day before February first, or something. I'm I'm now on a good schedule. Before it was whenever I have time, and now I have enough people invested in this that that I needed to actually uh, stick to a bi-monthly schedule. Would you eventually, if assume, let's let's say this continues to grow and do well, could you see it becoming a monthly um, publishing? Yeah, actually, right? I have a couple um, sort of uh, goals on Patreon. They're kind of like the Kickstarter stretch goals kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The next one is sixteen hundred, and we're only like seventy dollars away from that one. And uh, at sixteen hundred dollars, uh, I'm going to add. 6,000 words to the to the magazine which is about uh, the equivalent of one story and uh, and at twenty five hundred dollars I'm gonna go I'm gonna go every single month uh, because I think at that point yeah. I'll have enough uh, money to actually pay uh, a help slush reader to help me get through all the stories um, mm-hmm. I probably couldn't do I probably couldn't do enough to read enough stories to get a full issue's worth every uh, month, but um, at that point, I think I could I could hire some help. Well, how many how many hours a day do you spend reading these stories? Uh, it's not as bad as you might think. Um, I I spend I spend maybe ten to twenty hours a week uh, on on the magazine in general, and and. Uh, 
I don't read stories every single day. I'll usually sit down and like blow through, you know, 40 or 50 stories, uh, in the course of, uh, three to four hours. Uh, Jeez. so, takes so a lot of, you are re- so a lot of you aren't reading all the way through. Once you realize this is, this is not going to get a story. You just say, all right, this one's done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and my reading speed has increased pretty significantly, um, <laughs> over the course of this. Yeah. Thing. Uh, wow. And how many? And these? How long are these? How long does it take to read a story to complete most of these stories? And what's what's? I don't. I, I don't say, it's hard for me to think in terms. It's hard for me to think in terms of uh, words. In terms of how long it takes. So in terms of reading, so it's like a five minute read, a twenty minute read. How long is? Are we talking? Yeah. So so most of the stories I can get through uh, the average story in in five to six minutes. Uh, but the. Um, but a lot of the stories I don't even spend that much time on. A lot of them I'll get through in, in two to three minutes. And then there'll be long ones every once in a while that'll take me 10 to 15. Um, now, that you're, um, now that you're reading so many stories, has that, and you're reading it in a kind of qualitative way, like to judge it, mm-hmm. has that d- diminished your, I don't know, enjoyment of reading <laughs> in general? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I, I, still read, uh, I still read a lot of other stuff for pleasure, I'm actually reading um, "A Moat in God's Eye" right now by uh, Larry Niven and and Jerry, Jerry Pornell. Yeah, yeah, I'd yeah, never Jerry. read that one before. I've had somebody to read with that and uh, what Thor's Hammer, I think, were two of his okay, big yeah. Ones, yeah, that they wrote together. Yeah, it's a great name. Both those are great names. "A Moat in God's <laughs> Eye." I mean, yeah. the hell? and Thor's Hammer. That just sounds awesome. Yeah, <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> yeah. So. That's amazing. So you actually have time to read other stuff. You're like, okay, now that I'm finished reading, you know, 50 stories, mm-hmm. I think I'll read something else. I mean, it seems like, <laughs> oh, like I'm just going to turn on the TV, you know? Well, I guess that's, I guess that's the beauty of, of having this particular hobby is that I am very, uh, that's something that I just really love to do. So it fits really well. And, and that's really great for me because, uh, because the barrier to entry is pretty high for people who don't like to read stories. So, um, right. so not a lot of people are, are in this space and, uh, and doing this exact thing. And so it gets, it gets a decent amount of attention. People email me all the time saying like, why isn't this a thing? Why has this not, uh, been a thing before now? And, uh, and I guess it's because nobody wants to read that many stories, science fiction stories every month. Um, I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely, uh, magazines out there like, um, like, uh, Clark's world and like, uh, Isomov's science fiction and analog Mm. analog, I think is the biggest one in the world right now. But they're, they're very old aren't these, these ones, they're like 25, years older, 80 something years old. It's the longest, I think it might be the longest running one. So you're so you're kind of a weird use case, you know, competing against these guys who essentially are totally establishment. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, well, there's there's a decent number of of hobby magazines, and they they even win Hugo Awards every once in a while. But um, but yeah, they're I I am definitely in the niche of like analog and Isomobs. Mm. I mean, do you, how 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 much money do you think those you know how much revenue or subscription revenue do you think analog or asimov science fiction makes actually uh those numbers are uh pretty well known because um there's a there's a guy who publishes an anthology called the best science fiction of the year and he actually does a survey of all the major magazines i I think the big three are 
the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, Isomovs, and Analog. And those account for, for the most uh, uh, subscriptions um, in, in this genre. And Isomovs last year had 20,000 subscriptions, I think, and at, mm. at like $4 a subscription. So it's not a huge business. Um, right. It's, you know, it's right around a million dollars or a little less probably a year that a lot of these uh, uh, companies make. I don't know what they make on if they make ad revenue or anything like that. Uh, but in terms of subscriptions, it's not it's not a huge revenue stream. And I don't even know if they advertise, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Do you, do you have any other ideas of like things that you could do to grow into like so a bigger market, you know, something to do with maybe, um, I don't know, screenplays or something to do with like, um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, you know, I, I would have thought get like the, the writers, like, you know, be somehow, um, work at, work out how to be part of the writing process and, and charge for that and teaching and training and like the nugget, the nugget yeah. approach. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, well, there's, there's lots of different ways, isn't there? But, yes. um, Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually have thought about that. And uh, the the main, well, I, there's only so much that I can do as 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 one person. And uh, and I do have help, but uh, the the people who advise me don't have as much of a an interest or stake in it as I do. So so I end up doing you know um, most most of it. And and so if I opened it up to other um, if I open it up to other kind of maybe genres or or something like that, I would just get inundated with submissions that I could never get through. And but I think that there might be uh, an opening for um, a kind of marketplace where people uh, like Reddit, where where people submit stories, and then there are trusted reviewers that upvote or downvote stories, mm. and then and then you get. Um, you get sort of the the cream of the crop rising to the top, and then those people, uh, you know, get some some form of like I don't know a cut of the ad revenue or a cut of uh, uh, a kind of pot of money that that people put in to read the stories, some kind of subscription that people put in to read the stories every month or something like that. Some kind of crowdsourced, automated thing is yeah. is the only thing like that they- I could do by myself probably. Like dig for but for whole stories. Um, yeah, it's it's dig like, boy. That's know, something out of the past. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's just like slash dot. You're like, what are you? <laughs> you need to. Um, it's it's like you need to hit escape velocity before you can really start exploring this stuff. Yeah, and and the trust thing is huge, right? Because it would be really easy for someone to to get together a voting ring and just upvote all the stories by their friends or or something like that. And so that's the kind of issue that you run into very quickly with something like um, uh, a crowdsourced reading platform. You have to you have to be able to vet uh, vet people who read the stories and upvote the stories really well, I think, in order to make something like that work. Well, that's exactly the problems we've seen in Reddit and Dig, right? The voting rings mm-hmm. that happen, and mm-hmm. you know, and all the complaining and all the you know conspiracy charges that go around because of that. Um, yeah, yeah, that's um. So it's it's got to be kind of uh, 
kind of uh, you know an exciting experience for you to see this take off, though, huh? I mean, this is like a passion of yours that you could actually turn into something that may generate real money. I mean, that's most people don't ever have a shot at that. You know, they they they'll make things that might make money, but they don't get that it's not something they're just fundamentally passionate about. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it it's a uh, it's a pretty cool feeling. Um, although at this point, I'm not convinced that the market is big enough uh, that I could do it full time ever. Um, I think it's more likely now, or I think it's more likely now than I thought it was when I started this thing. Um, and it, and I honestly don't really know if I'd want to completely quit what I do right now. I actually do enjoy, uh, data science quite a lot and, uh, I don't want to like lose those skills, but, um, but it's, it's pretty cool to be able to see, uh, uh, it's cool when people say that they really uh, had their lives enriched by by these things that I've curated, uh, I get I get mm. a lot of emails. I actually have never received like a negative email about the magazine, which I was super surprised by. I thought that people were going to be trolling me left and right, but I guess it's one of those things where it's so niche that everybody who cares about it likes it and people who don't care about it never even hear about it. So, Right, right. So, you know, one thing, looking at the site, there's one thing that I would, I would love to see because is for each story, if there was like a little synopsis, like one, like a, you know, like a, they call a log line in, uh-huh. um, in Tree and Praise, just like a one sentence description of kind of what it is so you have some sense of what you're going to read. Is there a reason that you don't do that or just, you know, you know <sighs> It's uh, it's one of those it's one of those silly things that I've been meaning to do. You, I think you actually mentioned that to me uh, like nine months ago when I started this yeah, thing. I did, I did. I'm sorry, I'm a broken record. I apologize. No, and and it's something that I've always uh, been meaning to to implement. Um, but uh, and it, and it's so simple uh, to do. But there's just enough of an activation energy to to get over that hump <laughs> that I yeah. that I just haven't done it yet. And it, Jason, a- why don't you just keep like uh, skyping him every day, keep bugging him about it? <laughs> Maybe in a week it'll get done. Give me some water. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, every day I love. Yeah, I would love like he to the, you know being on the email list. It says here are our stories and here's the one sense description because then you're gonna be like oh that's what i want to read about you know or something like that you know yeah i need to do it i i i know i need to do it but it's always i'll sit down and i'll think well i could read some stories out of the queue or i could do some marketing or i could you know add some stuff to the website and adding some stuff to the website jason was (laughs) what's that justin or I could build those stupid log lines, Jason. Right. Was. <laughs> hey, who knows? It might be like a turning point for the business. You know? Everybody was just waiting because everybody's looking at us like, I don't know what these mean. No, I don't know what they mean. I can't yeah, imagine t- TLDR, TLDR. <laughs> oh no, that's right. I yeah. I love the um I love the the logo, the artwork, that concept of the printed circuit board also being like trees. Yeah. Very nice. That was actually a British designer named Weapon Face who did that. <laughs> weapon <laughs> face. <laughs> That's great. Oh my yeah. God. Actually, uh, I I gave away t-shirt. Uh, so, um, are you familiar with uh, Worldcon at all? I'm not. Are you, it's, Justin? No, no, it, I'm not. No. It's where they vote on the Hugo Awards. Uh, okay. And I I went there this year, and 
there's this there's this young author who I um, who I actually didn't know about until he submitted a story to me, but it turned out later that he was the most prolific science fiction author in the world last year, I think. And, uh, and he, he had just, uh, got his undergrad degree in something. And, um, he's the only person who ever, um, well, he's the only person I know of who makes a living writing only short stories because, uh, the money is all in novels. Nobody, nobody really makes a living off short stories. They make, they, they get known through short stories a lot of times, but they make usually all their money off of novels. But he uh, actually was able to make a living off of short stories last year, and uh, I, I've asked him to write an article about that, which he says he's going to do when he gets through with his master's degree uh, stuff this year, I guess. Uh, but this is, I'm getting sidetracked. So we went to Worldcon and I had a bunch of t-shirts with that same logo on them. And there was a guy uh, who hijacked a panel to kind of read his own manifesto. And people got very, very angry with this guy. And Rich Larson, who's the author that, uh, that I was just talking about, he pulls off his shirt in the middle of the panel and uh, and put on my shirt w- with with uh, that compelling science fiction logo, and nobody even noticed because everybody was so focused on the front of the room. Uh, this guy reading off his manifesto. Um, wow, it was, uh, it, it was a pretty surreal experience. But everybody at Worldcon loved that logo as well. <laughs> That's cool. Awesome. Where's Worldcon held? Um, it is held all over the world, uh, a different place every year. It, people bid on cities bid on, uh, the rights to, to host it. I think next year it's going to be in Finland and Helsinki. Uh, and the year after that, it's actually going to be in San Jose. So mm-hmm. I okay. probably will go to San Jose, but I'm not sure I can go to Helsinki at this point. So when, when people write these stories, I mean, do, or, or rather, they're they're normally one-off short stories, but does everyone do um I what that well, I forget what they're called when they're like you know one after the other like it's almost like a chapter oh like a serialized a serial yeah a serialized do do you really serialized stories or would you consider doing that uh yeah I would like to do that at this point the magazine doesn't really make enough money for me to uh, buy a whole novel and uh, and then break it up into chunks and I'm really nervous to buy the first part of something that hasn't been that the ending hasn't been written yet for because it could be you know the first serialized uh, issue could be really great and then all the rest could be crap uh, so I wouldn't want to buy any serialized stories unless they were sort of self-contained uh, like Star Trek episodes right in the same universe but self-contained stories or uh, a whole novel that I bought all at once. Um, and, right. and again, I can't read, I can't ask for novels because I can't read novels that fast. Right, 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 right. Um, so, I don't know, Justin, do you have, I'm, I'm keep, I'm, I've asked so many of the questions. Do you have anything you want to ask about? Um, well, the, the, I just one, but it's not related to compelling science fiction. <laughs> oh, good. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Joe, you, you had sent, you had sent us an email, um, suggesting that we should, um, do our own Patreon, um, 
account oh we yeah should, we sure. should do this for for texting uh-huh. um what what what's what's your pitch on that like why why would you think that would work for us and for jason specifically <laughs> well because uh because your uh your listenership is not like uh as big as the top podcasts on the itunes store or whatever those those guys make a ton of money off of ad revenue jason mm-hmm. has mentioned before that uh, he doesn't really want to put ads in the show because, uh, because it would only amount to I don't know like four or five hundred bucks, and and that's not enough for him to sort of impose upon people with with ads. I that I forgive me mm. if I if I'm putting words into your mouth. I think no, you're right. No, you're right. That's that's right. I you know it's like if if you know I think J- Justin and I have you know pretty successful careers so it's not like we're you know dying for you know to make revenue off this it's so it'd be nice to but if if we were trying to make a living off this or if every you know ten dollars made a difference to us then you know maybe we would consider it but considering that but given that we're not financially desperate um i i'm personally not that interested in you know taking an ads for $150 an episode or $200 an episode. And now we got to talk about some product or something. I mean, so everyone has, everyone has a price, I guess if they were going to, if we were making thousands, maybe like, Oh yeah, maybe it's worth it. But I just don't. So, Jason, let's say we did do the, the patron thing. Um, what would there be, uh, like right now, compelling science fiction, you know, they're, they're they're pulling in 1500, uh, Joe is pulling in 1500 an episode. Yeah. Um, would you would something like that make you more likely to record shows more often? Probably, yeah. I mean, <laughs> fifteen hundred is, is is a little more is real money. Like, I don't know. At what, at what point is it is it real money versus not? You know? Yeah. I mean, if it was it, like, if it's like three hundred dollars a month, cutting two one hundred fifty, I think, ah, whatever. You know. <laughs> so I, I'm just trying to find out, like, is so is there like a, a a figure or an amount that would make you kind of like, okay, yeah, I do one a week. You know, yeah, maybe, maybe or something maybe, like that. Certainly, there's <laughs> a number. You know, like I'm a numbers guy. You know, there's probably what's my number. You know, I mean, I mean, if it was like, if it was, let me see, what would what would my number be? I mean, I mean, I like anyway. <laughs> now, just for you, not not our split number, just for you, like your share. Just think about it that way. Well, well, here's the thing. Just remember, keep in mind though. The show, you know, require for every hour that we record, it requires probably that much time outside of it to write up the show notes and everything. Yeah. So it's not like we just record the show. It's like now I got uh-huh. homework. I got to, yeah. you know, create all the, you know, so which is not exactly fun. I mean, but um, <sighs> I mean, I guess if I was making, if I, I guess if it was like three to five hundred bucks a month, I I would probably be more interested in it. Maybe it was around five hundred bucks a month. I mean, five hundred bucks a week. If I was pulling on that, I'd be like, "All right, let's just do it," you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so like two grand, so like two grand a month um, for you. If you if you were pulling in two grand a month for texting, you'd be like, "Okay, I, let's let's lock it and load it. We'll do a, an yeah. episode every week." Yeah, yeah that, that's that, that's kind of life changing money. I agree. I agree. Yeah, that affects things. You know, that's real money. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to say that the cool thing about this is that you don't even have to you don't even have to air ads. And it and it would be great for uh, YouTube because uh, I think and and I could be wrong here, but but I think that you have a very dedicated core of listeners who would be willing to 
pay a couple bucks uh, in uh, an episode if they were going to be able to hear you more often, or you know, even at your current uh, at your current rate, uh, I think people would want to support you, and and so you could get a lot more uh, revenue per thousand listeners uh, via Patreon than you could than you could with ads, uh, based on based on just sort of your core of, of loyal listeners. Uh, that, that would be my guess. It's I very true. Right. The beauty of, I mean, the yeah. beauty of it is, is we have, you know, they, they, they say that scarcity is a very powerful <laughs> sales tool. <laughs> and we have inbuilt scarcity. Uh, <laughs> our, own la- our own laziness is really just giving us some leverage. You know, like these guys, are so <laughs> you really got to like goose them to do anything. You know? <laughs> Yeah, well, we, I think Joe, Joe, I think you're right. Like, we don't have a big listenership, but our listeners are pretty dedicated. They've been a, a lot of them have been with us a long time, and I, I think they have a real connection with the show. And uh, I, I think you're probably right. That would probably be your best shot at 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 maximizing revenue, so to speak, is the Patreon route. So, and then, plus it just and feels better. It plus it just feels better, you know. Yeah. Yeah, we we'd probably do more link more sh- more link show. I mean, if we did do more shows, then we we could take that time up discussing links and discussing stuff going on in the world more. You know, along with our own stuff, I guess. Yeah, we'd probably do more interviews, and we'd probably get back get our get our act together and do it like we <laughs> like do it for real. <laughs> and then and then we and we, like, we hey, could then catch up for this, Justin. We got <laughs> like we, we could catch up startups for the rest of us again because that's kind of irked me that they overtook us with their number of shows. There, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they put out a crazy number of shows. Yeah, they yeah. do. I guess I um, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, ju- I mean, I know we're yeah. So we're kind of uh, getting off the compelling science fiction. So I don't that know is totally do. fine with me. I, but yeah. Yeah, so let's see. So I'm trying to think of some other questions I might have. Um, I'm, so I'm looking at the. Sh- I'm looking at your website. I know I had like a f- some feedback of things that I was hoping for, but yeah, the log lines seem <laughs> to be great. I'd love to be like how 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 you know how these writers work. You uh-huh. know, well, you know what thing is interesting. I was reading about the guy. You know that um, the the obviously you do, but the the movie Arrival that uh-huh. came out, and and that that was actually. Based on a short story, was it Time of Your Life or something like that? Is that right? Uh, you know, I don't know the story that that was uh, uh, based on. Was that a Ted uh, Chang story? I feel like that might have been. Uh, I, think, I know the guy. Had, I, I'm pretty sure the guy is Asian. That's all I remember from the okay. article. I was, that's, the, that's the picture I had in my mind when they were interviewing the guy. So he must have had uh-huh. an Asian last name. Um, but uh, I think... You know, I think it was like the the interview, the commentary of the interview on like Hacker News or something that the people were saying that his stories were extremely well crafted and well thought out. Like mm-hmm. they didn't have obvious, you know, plot holes and things. Um, so I, anyway, so but it's, it's sort of sort of ironic that you don't know the short story. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's my bad. But I did see that movie and. Uh, I, I kind of took issue with uh, with their sort of uh, use of uh, the Worfian theory of language um, to to explain away their their whole time travel thing. That was that that kind of irked me a little bit. It felt a little bit more like fantasy than than science fiction to me. Uh, but that being said, it was a good movie. 
the war what did you say warfian what is that yeah it's it's the it's the concept that um your language uh kind of defines how you think about the world uh like like in in japan their language is very hierarchical and uh and the way they think about the world tends to be tends to be very hierarchical i think the the classic uh example is is um people who have more uh names for different shades of colors are actually able to distinguish uh different shades of colors better than people who don't have those words in their language, mm-hmm. um, right. and and then, well, I I should not spoil the movie for people who <laughs> who haven't seen well, it. Yet. Well, I yeah we don't yeah so we, we we generally try and avoid spoilers, but we'll just say that yeah there, that that played into it. So you so you weren't so but that really wouldn't play that wouldn't really be a hard science fiction story, right? Yeah, that really exactly. Your criteria. Yeah. Right? So I. So yeah, I have a very uh, specific set of criteria, and and that probably would not be something that would make it into the magazine. Um, but it's good; it's still good. Yeah. Do do now? Here's oh, this is one question I want to. I just remember what I want to ask was, you know, if you were willing to say, I want a story that that has these characteristics. You know, mm-hmm. th- I want a story about this. You know, um, did. Do you have a way of doing that? Can you have a way to say, like, you know, I mean, I mean, I guess you could always just contact with your writers and say, I want you to write a story about this. But you ever have kind of like a 99 designs, like, I'm going to take the best story that, you know, this here, here's the here's the here's the uh, here's the outline of the story. The best version of that will pay will give you, you know, five hundred dollars for a thousand dollars for something. Yeah, I've definitely thought about that, like putting up a list of ideas that that I've had that I think would make kind of cool stories uh, and, and then say, you know, have at it, use any of that, these ideas that you want and we'll, we'll pick the best one. Um, but that I, I, I'm kind of on the fence about that because then I have to read through, you know, dozens of stories about the exact same thing. And <laughs> <laughs> the, the don't make me suffer rule is, is obviously broken right there. <laughs> yeah. That, that rule guides a lot of my actions. Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> no, the, uh, and then, and then there's a lot of people who do anthologies, uh, like that. They say, all right, I want stories about mermaids. Send me stories only about mermaids and I'm going to make an anthology about mermaids. Um, I've, I've never done that, but I have, you know, I have 1400 people on my email list. So I, uh, anytime I have one of those ideas, I could just send it out and, and, uh, ask people uh, to do it i just haven't done it yet well you know it would be it would, a couple things come to mind would be interesting one would be having like a, a voting on on ideas so like submit an idea voted you know hacker news style reddit style whatever and so the best ideas are there for any of the writers for the taking yeah so here are things that people want you know like People submit an idea. Everybody mm. likes this. But you could also do like the Paul Graham approach. You remember how like he did a couple of different times. He said, here are startups that we would love to back. Mm-hmm. You know, these are our fund or whatever. Like they don't exist. These are problems. Somebody should do these startups. I, you know, we don't know why nobody's doing them, but you should. Do yeah. you ever thought of like, like, you ever think like, I don't know why nobody's writing a story about this or that. I mean, I keep these, these stories about this, these, you know, dumb standpoint, steampunk stories, <laughs> mind control. But, but yet... There's this whole green field that nobody's exploring that'd be great to write about. I mean, do you have 
Do you have some things like that? Uh, I I have I have a list of ideas that I have started to write down um, in preparation for something like that. Uh, I haven't actually made the decision to pull the trigger. Um, if you have ideas for stories that you would like to see, email them to me. I, I, I'm I'm talking to both you and anybody listening to this. I I would uh, I would love to compile a list of of interesting story ideas that that authors could could get a hold of and and uh, write about. Yeah, because I remember when I did a, a creative writing class in high school. And one of the things, one of the interesting assignments, we had to write a poem, and it had it had very strict limitations. Like there were a list of words that we had to kind of work into it, and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And when you put when you put a lot of constraints on it, all of a sudden it they, they, it 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 enforced more creativity, you know. And yeah. I remember seeing an, and listening to an interview, and I believe it was it was like an it was like an old interview on uh, I don't know NPR, NPR like Fresh Air or something like that. It was with a guy who did the Roadrunner cartoon, mm-hmm. and he said, you know, the thing that made the Roadrunner great is that the Roadrunner had to obey very specific rules. One, the Roadrunner <laughs> was always on the road. <laughs> the ro- the Roadrunner would never leave the road. The Roadrunner would never cause damage directly. He yeah. never did anything to Cody. Cody always hurt himself. <laughs> You know, and I think the Roadrunner never hurt anybody, or, or he never—I'm sorry—he never talked. So, oh, yeah. or beep beep, you know, that was it. So, but when you put those constraints on it, all of a sudden, it it, it then the creativity came forth. And yeah. a lot of times, writers themselves have a harder time putting down some very hard rules to follow. But you said, look, these are the rules, and then people are like, oh Jesus, how are the hell am I going to write a story about that? But then it gets them thinking, because then because you're naturally sort of gravitate towards probably the same thing that everybody else is always doing, you know, or the, the last movies yeah. that you've seen or whatever. We all think the same things, but it sort of gets you out of the group think because now you have this weird hoop you got to jump through or a series of hoops. Yeah, that I, I think that that's a great idea and. Uh, it's kind of like I, I guess it's kind of like Nugget to a certain extent. Um, what do you? I, I was wondering, what do you think the copyright implications? Well, hold, are? On, Justin, let, let, hold on, just let me, let me finish that real quick. He was just gonna say. So before we finish that, like, so go on. Oh doing? no, I I was just I was just saying like uh, Nugget is uh, is a series of ideas to help uh, help people get uh, out of their sort of startup rut or whatever. And this is right, a right. series of ideas to help authors get out. I mean, authors tend to have a lot less money than technology uh, entrepreneurs. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I would never uh, actually charge money for ideas like that. Uh, uh, but I think it's a pretty similar idea. Well, could you do well, it just before we get before we get to the copyright thing? I just want to ask this one thing. Rick, I'm right. sorry. This is why we this is why we stopped doing interviews together because uh, yeah. I end up asking all the questions and he gets <laughs> he's yeah. a little frustrated. <laughs> sorry, Justin. I apologize. Um, it's okay. But let me just ask this one question. Um, so, what if you know if I said, hey, that AI story that I concept that I had, and do you you know I wanted to go? I read. You know, there's a one one or two stories in there from one of your authors who and I think this guy's or girl's amazing. That you would say, "Hey, I'll pay you to write this story." Do you do? I could commission like like artists. They would commission artists. Do you ever commission stories? I haven't done that yet. Uh, the the closest I've got is asking this uh, this guy Rich Larson to write a story about like how he survived on mm. uh, writing short stories for a year when very few people are capable of doing that. Um, uh, but 
but I definitely be open to uh, that because that actually the the idea that you just uh, stated fixes the problem of a, a, a thousand stories that I have to read about the same subject, right? I can say, I can say, all right, I'm going to send out to these 20 people that I know are good authors uh, and ask them to write stories about this. And it's a, a much higher uh, percentage chance for them that I will select their story and, and there's a lot less for me to read. I think that's a great idea. So, so I got a story for you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> sorry, Justin. Sorry, Justin. So, you know, um, this is, I think this, this would be a hard science fiction story, but, um, so you've heard me talk on previous shows about the, you know, things that I do with this, these math academy, um, classes. And mm -hmm. I, I've been sort of thinking about trying to come up with a series of what I would call math labs, where it wasn't just pure math, but like math applied to something um, like physics or, or whatever. But yeah. I was thinking it'd be interesting to do it as part of an ongoing narrative, um, a, a story, which I think I've talked a little bit this on the show at times, if, if you recall. But, uh -huh. and I started thinking about it a little harder and I was thinking, you know, what if it was like the earth was going to be hit by, you know, asteroids or something. And then we had to do some different predictions and we had to, in each chapter, we had to do different things um, yeah. to sort of solve this problem that we're, you know, and, and the, the, the solution were obviously mathematical or scientific and therefore mathematical in nature. Uh -huh. And I was sort of thinking, you know, well, what if, you know, astronomers, it, they, they, they detect some type of, of body coming, coming into the solar system. Yeah. But it's dark, so we can't quite tell what it is. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, but, we, but we're starting to do calculations that we think that it could intercept our orbit. Yeah. And we're like, oh, crap, is this like a giant asteroid or something like that? And as it starts to get closer, we realize it's not an asteroid. It's actually what's called or what's known as a rogue planet. Uh, have you heard uh -huh. of rogue planets? Yep, yep. So they, they estimate that there's like something like a billion of them in our galaxy. These are just planets that actually are not attached to a star. Right. These things are actually real. They actually are, you know, there's a bunch of them. But because they're, they're dark, right, they're not a star, you can't actually mm -hmm. see them very easily. So they're, but they're yeah. out there. And it's unlikely, given the size of our galaxy, that one would necessarily come running into our solar system. But mm -hmm. hey, you know, there's a billion yeah. of them. You know, at some point, some might. So that could, that is not you know totally implausible. Yeah. So this rogue planet comes out, and you're, we're like, oh crap, that's a rogue that's coming at us. And we start detecting, like, you know, we start, the, the scientists are scrambling to decide if it's going to hit our planet. But then we realize, okay, whoo, it's not going to intercept us, but. It might come close. It's going to come close. And then what the scientists realize, it's not going to hit, hit the moon, but it's going to throw the moon's orbit off. Uh -huh. off, off it. And so what will happen is, it'll, is oh, after, after so much time by throwing off the orbit, the, plant, the moon will ultimately crash into the Earth, but yes. not right away. So that's going to create, obviously, make the planet, that's going to, planet uh, earth unlivable but as it turns out some of these rogue planets actually have like an internal core and may actually have an atmosphere and they oh have yeah energy in core core and so what we realize is our best way of survival is we got to jump ship to this rogue planet that's going to come close <laughs> to us <laughs> right i mean because it actually has an atmosphere unlike mars and it's coming close so it's like well i mean that what are we gonna do? Like we're gonna jump on this thing. It has an atmosphere. <laughs> it has water. It has an eternal core we can get energy from. So we either stay on Earth and you ultimately die, or you know you try and go to Mars. And of course, 
you know, getting that built into a livable is less likely. And so then we have to like, how do we get massive numbers of people into ships in a situation to like jump onto this moving rogue planet? Yeah. And I, so the idea was that every that I was going to break this into a series of chapters and each one's a math lab. And and that and actually had a um, actually I'm looking at right now. I hired a um, this uh, a girl, young woman. She graduated with her master's degree in physics from Caltech. And I so she's should be good at this. And I said, listen, I want to I here's the ultimate story. I want to break this into chapters and, and I want you to kind of come up with some plausible math that we would yeah. do to solve these problems. Uh -huh. And so she actually has the first four chapters kind of um, described out what we would do. Um, but I was telling a friend of mine this, who's, um, who's actually, um, he does some writing. His wife is actually won like a Nebula Award or something like uh -huh. that. And uh, he's like, dude, that's pretty dark for, for like <laughs> school. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I guess you're right. <laughs> so like maybe All that right, is kids. too dark. You have to save the world. <laughs> You have, you have to save as many. I mean, billions are going to die, but at least we can have <laughs> a million people will live by jumping on a new planet. And he's like, I don't think that's really appropriate for eighth graders. And I'm like, yeah, maybe you're right. So anyway, that's that's my story idea. Would, oh, that, would that fit hard science fiction or is that too, uh, too, too crazy? No, that would, that would totally fit. Although... Uh... Um, in space, in, in deep space, uh, any atmosphere is going to freeze out. It's going to, uh, it, you're going to, once you get deep enough into space, it doesn't matter what the gas is, it's going to turn into a solid and you're going to get like, uh, the entire atmosphere snows out of the sky and, uh, and the atmosphere only kind of re, uh, emerges when it comes near a new planet or a new sun. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so I, what, what I was reading about why would these rogue planets have atmospheres in? Why do you think they were saying that? I why, why would that? I'm gonna see. I'm gonna see if maybe if there's a science fiction like you know loophole here. Um, <laughs> that's my idea. That's my idea. <laughs> yeah, it would take an insane amount of energy to keep an atmosphere uh, in the gaseous state while you are in deep space. I'm not even sure you could store that much. It, maybe if you had some like incredible stores of of uh fuel for fusion plants or something like that i don't i don't know right and yeah, basically here's, here, here's an article i've just found it here's an article on uh eon have you heard of eon magazine eon? Uh, i have heard of it yeah yeah yeah, it's called Life in the Dark. In the dark corners of our galaxy, there are billions of rogue plants roaming around. Starless, can they support life? And it's written by some astrophysicists. So I'll read this and see if there's a loophole. Yeah, Maybe there is. I mean, the only way that I could see that happening is if if the core was still uh, was still hot and you iced over all the oceans and you had life like at the bottom, like like a lot of people speculate is on Europa. Uh, life in hot vents at the bottom of an ocean under like, you know, meters and meters and meters of ice. Uh, or, you know, some advanced civilization has some other power source. Power is always your problem, right? Because right? right, the sun right. provides crazy, crazy amounts of power. Right. So, so would you say that a story like this, I mean, just as an example, for it to cut the mustard with your criteria there would have to be some kind of scientific explanation of why is important like you, you you could just say well it just is there like you'd have to be like yeah. how is that happening right 
I, I would like at least a, a hand-wavy explanation. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, interesting. Okay. Do, do you ever... And I, Justin, I know you. I'm. I'm sorry. I'm just asking questions. No, no, but it's I, not a problem. I'll ask. The do you have ever have stories that are just really fun reads and great, but they're not hard science fiction? And you're just like ah, you know, like you're frustrated because it's it's not gonna it's not gonna it breaks your rules, but you love the story. Yeah, I've definitely I've definitely had uh, stories like that come in. Um, uh, although, if it's did you if, turn them away? If it's, I you, do, I do turn them away, and and if it's yeah. not hard enough, uh, and I know it's not hard enough, even though I like, like there was a story, there was a story that was kind of interesting that I got in uh, the other day that that had that started talking about runes, like you know, like fantasy runes, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it it seemed kind of cool, but it completely went against all of my. Uh, guidelines that I have up on the on the site, and if I if I started if I started accepting stories like that, first of all, uh, readers come expecting a certain type of story, uh, and so I would get, I would catch some some flack there. Doesn't really matter. I mean, uh, I, I can publish them and and people might like them, but I would like to be consistent in that respect. And and the second thing is, if I start accepting stories like that, then I'll get a ton more, and I probably won't be able to read through them all. So. Yeah, I was gonna say oh. you could have like every once in a while you could have your one story called the rule breaker, but it's so good that you're like, all right, this is we we know this is breaking the rules, but we've added as a bonus because it's that good. That yeah. kind of thing, I guess. So are we back? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna I could I was gonna ask my quick question. Yeah, yeah, this is the part of the show where Justin actually gets to speak. <laughs> no, it's just a very quick one. It's a very quick one. Um so we, you guys were talking about this, the idea submission thing, and then maybe those ideas, you know, um, Joe could like farm out and good writers could end up writing stories out of them. What, is there any copyright implication for that? Like, and I was, I've been thinking the same thing about Nugget as well, you know, is there any copyright implica- implication about the submitter and then someone goes away and kind of takes that and I think, um, turns it into a business? I think it would be uh, pretty straightforward as long as, as you're very explicit with the people who submit ideas and say, listen, you're relinquishing all rights uh, to these ideas and, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we want you to sign um, an electronic agreement to that effect. Uh, just a really quick, you know, brief couple clauses that say, I'm not going to come back and ask you for anything uh, based on these, these ideas. Um, even if you didn't get uh, an agreement like that, I feel like, well, I'm not a lawyer. I can't. I don't really want to speculate, but I, I don't think that that would be a big deal. Yeah. Okay. That's all you had, cool. Justin. That, that's it. <laughs> Justin is satisfied. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know how long you want to want to keep the show going, but we're about one forty right now. Yeah. You Just know, it's funny. You know. I was thinking the show. I was like, ah, we'll get this done in like an hour tops. <laughs> <laughs> It's like I still don't even know myself. Just <laughs> um, yeah. I just have one more thing that just popped in my head. Um, uh-huh. That you know, it's like a lot of there's a lot of these sort of short movies that are showing up on um, YouTube that yeah. are pretty interesting. And one of the big problems with a lot of these things is they don't have really good stories. Um, and it's like, but you're a venue for, for good stories. Like it would seem like you could, if there was a way to have like a, 
uh, almost like a screenwriting. Like here, here are like here are like our screen our extra stories, and here are our screenplays, our short screenplays. You yeah. know that you know, and people go off and create short movies off of these things, which can in themselves generate pretty good movie uh, money because of the the revenue of of ads on YouTube. But you know, yeah, that's a that's kind of a bizarre um, situation. Like you'd think that there would be something like that already. And I feel like it, that there isn't something like that because of the economics of the whole ecosystem. And, and I, and I don't know exactly, uh, what the specifics are, but it seems like, first of all, you have to have a story that, um, doesn't have crazy effects because a lot of these, a lot of these guys, uh, don't have the budget to do a bunch of crazy effects. Uh, that, that might play into it. Uh, the the actual um, movies uh, or videos themselves, I don't know how much revenue that they make. And so I don't know how much they would want to pay an author. It's possible that a lot of their stories are, you know, very cheap to free for screenwriters who just want to like get a start or something and they don't want to pay for, mm-hmm. uh, for good stories. And, you know, maybe they just, don't want to deal with it at all, or or they think that their stories are super good, which maybe is <laughs> a whole other problem. Right. Uh, yeah, it just seems like it would be some. I wonder if there's a way to marry the two, like somehow, like you just have a very fertile ground for like a lot of you know short, high quality stories. You know, if you're getting this yeah. much many stories, that you know, and and a lot of people who 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 you know like sort of young or new or at least you know yet to be successful filmmakers like say you know i want to shoot something but i don't have an idea i'm not a writer and you can't you can't you know you can't get a good story like when can you get a good screenplay or whatever and mm-hmm. and you know something like these 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 filmmakers are you know they're they can be they can be good directors and all that kind of stuff but they may not necessarily be good you know actually capable of writing a really unique story so it's something that's come up in nugget a few times um submissions that we've had people looking you know, well, having the idea of, um, I guess, creative marketplaces, like a marketplace for, for uh, movies or, another, you know, a marketplace for journalists um, to, I guess, buy and sell stories or, or screen, screenplays. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a it's an interesting idea. I, I would like to I would like to look into that a little bit more and see what the ecosystem actually looks like, you know, talk to a couple people. Uh, I might do that, reach out to some YouTube video creators and see uh, how they source their material and, and that type of thing. I think, I think a marketplace like that would definitely require the hiring of a lawyer in some capacity, which right. I have not <laughs> done yet. Right. But, yeah. Um, because there's, there's all kinds of crazy, uh, uh, IP implications for for that, but it, yeah. it would definitely be a cool thing to to look into. I mean, just after seeing something like Arrival, you know, a large portions of that movie actually did not have major special effects. Yeah, you know, I mean, there were some things too. And if you shot like a, if you were creative about it, you could do a lot of it without much special effects. And it's just about it was good good writing and you know, obviously some good acting. But um, yeah, I wonder, I wonder if. <laughs> Um, those those directors on YouTube, they could probably just grab an anthology like the best science fiction of the year or something. Those those stories in those anthologies are generally generally don't make a lot of money, and they're they're all very very good, and uh, and they could just 
they could just pick a story out of out of one of those books and say, uh, hey, uh, I need to contact the author of this story to to buy rights. I wonder why they don't do that more often. Yeah, that is interesting because um, a lot of the a lot of stuff that we see that comes out, the stories are just bad. I mean, it's yeah. just like they, there's no way the director couldn't fix it, the actor couldn't fix it, the story was just dumb. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it mean. almost seems like there's like an ego issue, like. Like the people involved are like, no, this is good, and everybody who tells me it's bad is dumb, or something. Right. I, I don't know. So speaking of, so why don't we end this end the show with some sort of just, uh, you know, I, I like to hear kind of what your thoughts are on on your favorite, you know, science fiction movies or TV shows or what have you been watching you know, or, or reading that you like. Oh boy, uh, so my. Uh, my time for that type of thing has drastically decreased ever since I started this magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, let me think some of the some of the good TV shows. Uh, I haven't I haven't seen a lot of great uh, science uh, fiction TV shows um, lately. I've been watching I've been rewatching a lot of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I, I really I really enjoy that. Um, some of the uh, Kindle or I'm sorry, Amazon Prime original stuff is really good. I've been watching uh, Goliath um, with uh, Billy Bob Thornton. That's not science fiction at all. Right. Um, and then uh, I actually just put up a blog post talking about some of my favorite science fiction of all time and some of my favorite science fiction of, uh, or favorite nonfiction of all time. There's there's a lot of, a lot of good stuff from a long time ago that, that I read, um, like a lot of books by Arthur C. Clarke, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, um, uh, Werner Vinge has has written some really great stuff. Uh, a, a deepness in the sky and a fire upon the deep were amazing. Um, but those I, I, see, ones, I, I see you have a foundation. The foundation series is your number two. Yep, yep. that's actually one of my favorites too. Right? That's an amazing. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. We have something in common, Jason. That's, That's uh, well, we should note it. <laughs> At least we have. We yes, we have that. <laughs> um, what was the name? What was the name of the? Was it Psycho History? What was the name of the? Psycho the History. Practice? Yeah, Did Harry Seldon, yeah, psych- the mathematician. Yeah, Harry Seldon, Psycho History. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I, yeah, I remember Rendezvous with Rama. I read that. That was your number three. I read that as well from by Arthur C. Clarke. Um, yeah. That series started out really strong and it went downhill really fast. You know what my favorite is, which which also went off a cliff. The first one was, um, oh God, what was, who who's what's the author um, who started Scientology? Mission Earth. What was that guy's name? L. R. Hubbard. Ron Ron L. Hubbard. Yeah. Uh, yeah, L. Ron Hubbard. Right, right. L. Ron Hubbard. Good, good. L. Ron what was the what was the one Mission Earth? I think it was called where um, they uh, it was like a, a decology. It was like a ten book series. Do you, ever, do, you, do you guys know what I'm talking about? I have I, never I read that. I think I know what you're talking about, but I haven't read it. And, and, the, and the guy's name, um, let me see if I find this real quick. Um, the, the, character, the main character's name, where was it, Mission Earth? Oh, yeah, this, it was The Invader's Plan was the first one. And it was the funniest book that I had ever read. It was funnier than Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Literally the <laughs> funniest damn thing. It's like the, the main character, 
or you know, so there's two characters. The one guy was Heller, I think he was named. He's like what's called a battle engineer, and so he's like six foot five and a super smart and incredible athlete and really good looking and just like everything <laughs> about him was perfect, right? And then the guy um, was a Sultan Griss, who it was through his eyes, and he hated him. He was always trying to sabotage him. It was kind of like a roadrunner <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah. And he was such an idiot that he just screwed everything up all the time. And it was just, it was so pathetic. But it was absolutely the funniest thing I'd ever read. Like, laugh out loud kind of funny. And then um, just fell off a cliff. Like, each each one after that was, like, horrible, you know. Um, and I read that. I, I mean, but, of course, that's, that was my 18, 19-year-old self. Maybe my, mm-hmm. my 46-year-old version would not like it as much. But... <laughs> <laughs> do you do you well, have for, a, funny stuff like that? Do you ever have? You said you had to breed that they breed like flies. Do you have? Does, yeah, it's so rare to to get uh, an actually genuinely funny submission. Um, a lot of people think that they're kind of funny, uh, but uh, a lot of people just don't like writing humor, especially science fiction people. For some reason, they think all their stuff has to be super serious. Uh, but every once in a while I'll, I'll have one. There was one in the, there was one in the second issue that I published that technically wasn't really, uh, hard, uh, hard science fiction, but I, I thought it was so funny. I published it anyway. I think it was the second story in the first issue. You remember the, you remember the title? Um, let me see. Uh, for some reason I'm spacing on it. I can, I can look right now. It's, it was called, uh, mean and clean. Mean and clean. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely watch. I like funny stuff, so I'm I'm in on meaning. There we go, meaning clean by and, Mary Dejan. Yeah, and uh, opportunities for lost children uh, by James Beeman um, is pretty funny too. I actually uh, interviewed him uh, on Skype at one point. That that's another one that's still sitting on my hard drive. But he's a funny guy. Yeah, uh, it, something about even the humor. Something about the dialogue is always so bad like they just it's yeah. not it's like people don't talk like this why why are you writing it like this like human beings do not communicate like this and it's yeah just, exactly like what's the deal like science fiction people they just they just do uh what description narrative or something but not dialogue yeah Is, do you I find that be a ten, a, just an overall weakness in science fiction stories yeah i mean maybe it's an inherent uh Maybe it's just so difficult to find somebody who's talented enough to to sort of understand the science, uh, understand how to write correctly, and understand humor. Like that, that's sort of a trifecta that maybe just doesn't happen very often. And yeah. uh, you maybe get two out of those three, uh, but you don't get three out of three. Um, yeah. the, the Law of Diminishing Returns in issue three um, by Dominic Teague that one was uh, more dark humor. Um, mm-hmm. it, it basically starts out, this guy uh, goes back in time um, continually to like kill this one guy over and over that he really hates. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's, <laughs> it, it's, it sounds really dark, but it gets really funny uh, when he finds out that like that guy actually didn't do uh, what he thought he did, and he has to like go back and like fix it and not kill him over and over and over. <laughs> That's good. I like that. That's a good. Yeah. See, I don't know. I, there's got to be more humor in science fiction. I think he, science fiction just takes itself too seriously. That's one yeah. of the problems, you know. And uh, if you, if you see like a lot of really good, even um, I don't know if you call them like dramas necessarily, maybe thrillers or action things like like Ocean's Eleven or something, right? I mean, they mm-hmm. have a lot of humor and stuff like that. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this thought of funny interactions. And I just feel like that tends to not show up so much in the science fiction. And uh, if they do do it, then it's something like Galaxy Quest, where it's just kind of, a, a total spoof, you know, Galaxy yeah, Quest or Space Balls. Yeah, super yeah. campy yeah. and stuff. Guardians of the Galaxy or Guardians of the Galaxy. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah, that was. Yeah, fun. that that might hit your criteria, right? Yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah, that was fun. And not not that wouldn't make Joe's criteria because I think hard science fiction about that. But uh, <laughs> it definitely hit mine in terms of funny and uh, you know science fictiony. Yeah. Well, yeah. They as need- long as we hit your criteria. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. That's that's all that's important. <laughs> have you seen um, Have you seen uh, the Man in the High Castle? Uh, yeah. No. What is that? But, uh, I I wouldn't have classed have thought of that as humorous. No, but, it uh, is it is the opposite, and the, that's sort of the reason why I brought it up is that it is kind of it embodies all of the things that are uh, are lacking in in science fiction television today. Like it's a good it, it it's a good story. It's intriguing characters. Like the drama is great, but it is so dark and so uh, humorless that that mm. is it's hard like. Even if you have a dark drama, you should crack a joke every once in a while. I feel like, and yeah. and that brings a lot of life to stuff. And and the man and the man in the high castle, even though it's a good uh, TV show, they uh, they just don't do that. I sir, I remember when um, I was in. I, I went to this 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 private school that they encouraged. There's a lot of creative writing, so it was mm-hmm. kind of a hip, it was kind of a hippie private school <laughs> that I went yeah. to. Um, and um. I, so we every week we had to write a uh, a story for his class, you know, or we had to write five single, yeah, five pages, um, single spaced onto an ongoing story, or write a complete story every week. Uh-huh. And the the teacher would he was he was like a like a frustrated writer, like he wanted to be a writer. And yeah. his best friend was Pat Conroy, who wrote like um, the Great Santini, and uh, I don't know. You, uh, a, t- it? I know, a bunch of famous stuff. So he's a really okay. famous writer. So that's right. who he was. So he was. So he had us eighth, seventh, eighth graders, and he kind of held us captive and made us try to make us into writers. Um, yeah. And so I wrote this one story, and it was about when my mom got cancer. And mm-hmm. you know, it's very dark. He 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 would kind of like try and pull out of you like the most traumatic things. You know, your wow. girlfriend dumped you. Your parents got a divorce. Your dog died. You know, like horrible. Yeah. Or things that was just very had a lot of real raw emotional content because it because that's what allow what allow kids to write well yeah. because they had the story was there and when you kids start kids start, kids start making stuff up it just turns into kind of you know fluff and you know <laughs> silliness and yeah. so it was right the writing was people got to be amazing writers and the stories were really really good and 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 very yeah let's say real and so mm-hmm. I'm writing about my mom's finding out that my mom had cancer and and i and i write this one part where my brother walks in the room and i'm wearing i put on some sunglasses i'm about 14 at the time i think and i'm wearing, mm-hmm. i put on sunglasses so that my brother can see that i would have been crying and he my brother's like two years younger than me and he comes in and he just says you know some random things to me and he like farts and <laughs> leaves the room <laughs> but the fact that he farted you know, it yeah. is totally serious thing. Got the biggest laugh of probably any story of the year because uh-huh. <laughs> of what a serious thing was going on. And then he leaves in the stink in the room or whatever is what was so funny about it. Yeah, it's, that but, juxtaposition. Juxtaposition. And obviously, a fart joke is about as low as you get on the comedy. <laughs> <stuff>. <laughs> 
yeah. but when you have to be serious, or yeah. serious, like that's what you need. And it was amazing, like just seeing how well humor at the right point, like you said, works, even if it's yeah. you know, stupid humor. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, sort of diffusing, and I think that they do that in horror a lot as well. Um, like they'll build tension and build tension and build tension. And then like, right when you think that the tension can't get any, any worse, somebody will crack a joke and it will relieve the tension enough for them to keep building, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good, good point. What about Westworld? Westworld is a, yeah, people, people are I like, I love that show. I love uh, that show. I keep, we keep meaning to watch that and we just haven't had time yet. And the, the last episode has come out, right? It's, it's yeah, all yeah. out. It's, it's all, it's done. Yeah. Okay, so I will. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna renew my HBO subscription, and and we're we're gonna get on that. Okay, what about Mr. Robot? It's not really. It's kind of science fiction. It's it's tech oriented. But yeah. Which uh, yeah, you I watched that. I watched. Um, I think I watched the first four or five episodes of that one before, uh, before it dropped off my radar, and I I would like to finish it. Um, it was it was really. I mean, you, you both know it, that that the way they portrayed the tech was was pretty accurate compared to any other uh, television show, which was really cool. It was also yeah. one of those ones that's pretty dark and and not a lot of jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely accurate. Like when I hack a corporation, that's definitely how I do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I bring them down. No, uh, yeah, we've uh, my, my uh, Sandy, my wife and I, we just started watching it. We've got through the first three episodes and we're 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 hooked. But it is dark. I mean, you know, the thing about these dark shows is, is is sometimes it can get you. You have a hard time watching them after you get out of it a little bit because you're just like, oh, I just don't want to deal with it. It's just yeah, so, exactly. Heavy, you know. I'm gonna go watch, you know, like the Goldbergs or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> laugh a little bit, you know. Um, yeah. So, in, in, anything else? Any, anything you recommend? Uh, no, I I can't in good conscience in good conscience recommend anything else right now because I just haven't been. I've been out of it for so long with uh, reading for the magazine. Or oh, wait, what about this? What Black Mirror, Justin? You've been pushing Black Mirror for like a couple years, right? Oh, well. I, I have. I mean, I, like, I've, I've really only watched one episode. Remember, I remember I told you that because <laughs> that's right, right, right. That, it was too dark. that one episode was so dark that I couldn't <laughs> go any further. But it was really well done. Yeah, we've watched four of those uh, because they're they're self-contained, and so you can watch any one in any order, and it doesn't really matter. Um, and so we've watched four of them uh, that our friends had recommended. And it just so happened that our friends uh, were being jerks and recommended the most horrible, awful, awful, creepy ones in the series. So we watched <laughs> the worst four episodes uh, of oh, Black man. Mirror. But it it is so dark and and uh, and interesting and interestingly creepy, I would say. Like... Uh, you see a lot of uh, storylines that that are pretty uh, unique, um, but but weird and and disturbing at the same time. Yeah. Oh, so I want to you know back to compelling science fiction. I just have a, another question. Um, when you're reading this stuff, how do people read it, or how do you read it? Do you print it out? Do you read it on screen or in a Kindle, or what do you? What's your method for reading online stuff? Yeah, I read. Um, I have. Uh, a setup. Um, I actually gave a talk about this at Twitter. Uh, with uh, my my whole submission system is based on Amazon Web Services. So basically, I'm always reading at the computer when I read stories uh, for evaluations. 
Uh, when I read stories for fun, I usually read on my Kindle. And uh, I've never printed any of the stories out on paper. Because I'm kind of a paper guy. I kind of look at this and I'm like, how do I want – I'm just kind of thinking in my, my head, how do I want to read this? Do I want to try and read them online or not? Uh, my, my, my wife, she reads everything on her, I guess, Nook or Kindle or whatever she – actually, she mm-hmm. has like the – she has the app, I think, that runs on her Android phone, and so she reads everything that way. But yeah, I'm kind of old school. I'm steampunk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I uh, yeah, I I'm all techie. I read techie stuff, but I read it on paper or something. I don't know. Um, no. We are we're, we're two hours, and and my wife is calling me downstairs. <laughs> to sleep. This is usually how shows end. <laughs> Georgie starts coming, looking him just in the the eye, and he's like, "Oh crap." <laughs> <laughs> all right well, uh, that's, good. that's good justin you have a last question or are you good i'm good i mean i'm good this, is, <laughs> this, this show's been great um i'm sure i could come up with a question if you really needed no, 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 make sure that i uh, you're like damn it Daisy, all the bandwidth i didn't get you to <laughs> well i've had well, joe it, go on i've had a ton of fun yeah same here i it's been great having you on it's been great talking to you again and uh I'm I'm you know rooting for uh, for compelling science fiction. I think it's really cool. So I'm actually going to go read a couple of these, um, but I don't think I'm going to print it out. I'm going to take your take your approach and just kind of read them on my iPad, which you know, right. sitting, you know, built what, for this. What, so so, do you recommend that they bleed they breed like flies as the as the first one that anyone should read? Uh, yeah, actually, I think that is that is the first one that I'd recommend. Uh, I I think they're all pretty good. Because I picked them all, uh, but mm-hmm. they, like flies is is a good starting point, I think. Good. Well, I'll we'll give see. it. I'm gonna give that a shot. Well, um, you get those log lines working. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that's not, that's on the top of my list. <laughs> I want some log lines. Um, but yeah, all right. Well, um, awesome, man. Well, good luck with the good luck with the site, and um, yeah, we'll keep in touch. And maybe if I can convince Justin, we'll do another texting summit. Yep. Uh, and, uh, and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to Funny. come and hang out with you guys again. And thanks for all the advice. You definitely have helped me out uh, through emails uh, as well. Uh, Justin and I have emailed quite a bit. And, and at the beginning when, uh, when we first started, Jason, you gave some good advice too. So I appreciate that. Well, great. Well, uh, hey, happy to hear it. And, uh, you know. Like I said, we're, we're, we're fans, and uh, we're excited for you. And uh, good luck yeah, with, the, awesome. with the project. Thanks, Thanks so much. All right, man. Uh, with, that's a wrap. We're out.